The reading is Genesis chapter 4 on your sheet. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while, while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground, and now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. This uh, Remembrance Sunday, when we remember quite literally the sacrifice of millions of British and Commonwealth service personnel, it seems fortuitously appropriate that we look in our uh, studies in the early chapters of Genesis at the first recorded killing in human history. In fact, it was a murder of one brother killing another, of Cain killing Abel. Now this, of course, is where Geoffrey Archer found the title for one of his best-selling books about the conflict between two men born on the same day, on opposite sides of the world, brought together to hate and to destroy each other. But our setting for this story is not America in the 20th century, but rather it is east of Eden, an unknown number of years ago. But soon after, their father and mother, Adam and Eve, had been expelled from paradise and had come to experience morbidity and mortality, disease and death. Adam and Eve, we all know, had disobeyed God. They were ashamed. They tried to hide from God. They blamed each other. But God had not carried out his pre-announced threat of punishment 
they did not die. God, you remember, had said, if you eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you will die. But they did not die. God was merciful. Instead, he expelled them from paradise. He put them in the real world, the world that was not so easy, the world where there was pain and where man had to work hard, a world in which man was alienated from God, where God was a stranger, a world where he no longer spoke to God face to face, a world where he would one day die. And then chapter 4 opens with the birth of Cain. By the Lord's help, I've acquired a son, says Eve. And it's worth noting here a distinction that that act brings out. The difference between what we call common grace and saving grace. You see, although the man had tried to abandon God, God, though he punished him, did not abandon him. If God had abandoned man, well then man would have ceased to exist. If God had wanted to, he could just turn the switch off, the lights would go out, and the universe would be no more. But it's because he still loves rebellious human beings that he exercises common grace towards all human beings which allows the universe to continue, to allow new generations to come into being. Often through his exercise of common grace, that is when we first realise and appreciate that there is a God who is behind it all. It's rare for a woman after the safe arrival of her firstborn who doesn't offer a little prayer of thanks to God for that safe arrival. Common grace, then, is God's goodness to allowing us, to allow us to continue in this world despite the fall. Saving grace, though, is reserved especially for the people of God. God has many more blessings, blessings like forgiveness, peace of mind, eternal life, but only for those who respond to his love and ask for those things. Now the rest of the passage is the story of Cain and it breaks down very easily and obviously into three natural divisions that will help us understand it. Verses 2 to 7 are about Cain bringing his offering to the Lord and the Lord rejecting it. 8 to 12 are about Cain's murder of Abel and the Lord passing sentence on him. And 13 to 15 are about Cain's appeal against his sentence and the Lord modifying it. So let's just read the first verses 2 to 7 about Cain bringing his offering to the Lord and the Lord rejecting it. 4-2. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. 
Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. So we see Cain brought an offering and the Lord rejected it. Abel had brought a sacrifice to God and that had been accepted. Cain also brought a sacrifice to God, but that was rejected. Now why was that? Why does God seem to discriminate? Abel is a shepherd and he brought a lamb. Cain was a farmer and he brought part of his harvest. Doesn't that seem fair enough? Doesn't that seem reasonable? Well, it may do until we look at a few other references in the Bible to Cain and Abel, and we get a few more facts and a fuller picture begins to develop. So, in 1 John 3, particularly verse 12, it's page 1227, we must not be like Cain, we belong, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother Abel. Why did Cain murder him? Because his actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. That's what the Apostle John writes. So Cain's action was evil because he was an evil person. Abel's, though, are described as righteous Hebrews 11.4, page 12.09, tells us more. It suggests that Cain's action was also disobedient because unlike his brothers, he didn't act by faith. We read in Hebrews, By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain. Through his faith he won God's approval as a righteous man because God himself approved of his gifts. But I think to really get to the heart of the matter, we have to assume that God had told them what sacrifices to bring, and Abel obeyed, whereas Cain disobeyed. You see, worst of all, Cain's action was self-righteous. Let me explain. He was trying to justify himself. <clears throat> God had said, bring an animal sacrifice, because in God's law, the penalty for sin is death, and so a substitute death is necessary for justice to be possible. So an appropriate sacrifice would be the blood of a lamb. Abel realises that. His own life is forfeit. He knows that he is going to die. He knows there is nothing he could do to please God, to get his own life back. Only the life of some substitute victim would please God. Cain, on the other hand, by bringing the fruit of the field, is saying, look, this earth you cursed, I have worked hard on, I have toiled on, I've overcome your curse, and I'm offering you the fruits of my good work. You see, two very different attitudes are at play. As different as those of the Pharisee and the tax collector that you might recall from the New Testament. The one coming to God full of self-righteousness, we're told. 
full of thinking himself better than others, full of all the good religious deeds he does. The other, though, totally aware of his emptiness. Have mercy on me, a sinner, was his cry. That's the difference between Cain and Abel. They both go to God with an offering. One says, look what I've produced. That should please you. The other says, I'm guilty. I stand condemned. Nothing I've done will cover up. Nothing that is except the death of another. The attitudes are so different. That is why one pleased God and the other did not. The writer to the Hebrews, again, 11.4, says of Abel, by faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. He trusted God's word. He had faith that God would honour his word if he did the right thing. Well, next, 9 to 12, we find that Cain's response to all this was to murder Abel, just as the Pharisees' response to Jesus was to murder him. Now, why? Because through both Abel and Jesus, God is completely rejecting the idea that any good we could possibly, that by any good we could possibly earn acceptance by him. Even if we get as far as recognizing that we need to be saved, which is a miracle in itself, we still feel that we have to earn it by clocking up a certain number of merit marks. And God says, sorry, you can never earn enough merit. Acceptance by God is a gift that you receive, not a reward for your effort. Well, God catches Cain, as if Cain could ever escape. And what does Cain do when God approaches him? Well, first of all, verse 9, he lies. He says he doesn't know where Abel is. And then he sneers, saying, am I my brother's keeper? We might have add, isn't he old enough to look after himself? What are you hassling me for? But God knows all that has happened. And Cain is sentenced to become a homeless wanderer. Again, there is mercy in this sentence. God does not kill him as his law demands. He gives him time to repent. And another interesting point worth noting here, and that is about blood. In scripture, it is always spilt blood, and it always has a consequence. Murder always results in vengeance, whereas sacrifice always results in pardon. And then verses 13 to 16. Cain appealed to God against his sentence, and God modified it. Cain thought to himself, I've been driven off the land. I've been banished from the presence of God. I'm to be a fugitive and anyone can kill me. And he thought that was too much to bear. He didn't know how he would be able to cope with that. Now God didn't say anything about anyone killing Cain. It's as if Cain instinctively knows that the proper price for killing Abel is that he should forfeit his life 
that he should die. But God again has mercy and says, if anyone kills Cain, sevenfold vengeance will be exacted on them. We see another side of God. God is a judge. He is a God of justice. But he's also a God of love and mercy and compassion. And he is concerned here to stop the people of the world tearing themselves apart in blood feuds. Cain's punishment is to be banished from the presence of God to the land of Nod, literally the land of wandering east of Eden. Well, that's the story. What are the lessons? Have you any idea why this event is recorded in the scriptures? I'm sure the main message of this episode is to remind us of just how awful sin is, which is why we have Remembrance Sunday, which is why those of you who have fought in conflicts, why those of us who haven't but we have talked to our parents and our grandparents who did, who are long deceased, we remember these things to honour them but to pass on to the next generation so they do not repeat. My generation, anybody who's my age, has been very fortunate. Our fathers and grandfathers fought in two world wars. We haven't had to. Long may it continue. So, sin is awful. Sin is alien to this world. It has entered in through the devil but it's been passed on through human beings. The big difference between the brothers is that Abel recognised it, but Cain did not. Someone once told me at a kind of Christianity Explored type course that she had come to the conclusion, I think it was about week four, that she was, quote, too selfish to be a Christian. As if that meant in her own mind that she'd never get there. She couldn't see how she could change. But that was, in fact, a good start because you're halfway there if you recognise you're in the wrong with God and need to put right with him because you can't do it yourself. If you think you are a good person and either you don't need saving or you can save yourself, well, there's no way forward for you. You've had it. And that is the essence of sin, pride and self-righteousness. And God says, though, that we're not all right with him. That is not the default condition that we are born in, whereas we think we are. When he tells us what is necessary to be acceptable to him, which is have faith that another's life was good enough to pay the price for our sins, which deserve death, exclusion, separation. We try and offer him one or two of our own good deeds in the hope that they will cover up an even longer list of bad ones. But that is just pathetic when you reflect upon it. Sin from this story then is simply the refusal to submit to the instructions of God. It is proud disobedience. 
We've also seen how sin spreads. Cain's pride led to jealousy that led to anger and then hatred and malice and then murder. He was unable to control his wild passions. He lied. He tried to shift the blame. He remained, even after the murder, unrepentant. And we also see how sin brings such sorrow and suffering. Cain's sin was not an isolated little affair. It caused pain to others, not just to himself. It caused pain to God, the creator. His creation was being spoiled. It was being ruined. Pain, obviously, to Abel. He was killed. Pain, too, to Adam and Eve, who lost their firstborn son. Sorry, second Sin essentially is a spiritual matter. Rebellion against God, but it has social consequences too. Today we remember all those lost in two world wars, both started by Germany, both arguably, at least in part, the result of the distorted egos of two little men who wanted to show that they were strong men. I refer to Kaiser Wilhelm in the First World War, a man who you might notice in photographs always tries to hide his right arm. That is because it was partly, partially deformed. It was something that he was very self-conscious about. Was that a reason behind why he wanted to demonstrate the might of Germany through war to his cousins who were the king of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and Tsar Nicholas of Russia? And of course in World War II we have Adolf Hitler, the little, he was short, Austrian corporal who had experienced the humiliation of being on the losing side in the First World War and sought to express his anger and resentment of other nations and peoples by launching his Second World War. World War I was one of the deadliest conflicts in history in which over 16 million people died. 7 million civilians, 10 million military. The Second World War was even bigger by a multitude of at least four. 60 million people died in World War II, 20 million of whom were military, 40 million at least were civilians, mostly through German and Japanese acts of genocide, and then the rest by war-related disease and famine. Are we not grateful that there is a God of justice who ensures that the innocent do not suffer in vain and that the guilty will not escape justice? And finally, the fourth lesson from this story about sin, and that's that sin receives and deserves the judgment of God. God is still a God of grace, Common grace, we've seen that in that procreation continues and that God sustains the world, it carries on. And saving grace, he is hinting here, just as he hinted in Genesis 3, 
that uh, he will provide one day an effective sacrifice for our sins, Jesus Christ, so that he can satisfy perfectly the justice of God and we can be forgiven and accepted by him. You see, God is also a God of judgment too. He sees all the things that we do in secret. There is no escaping him. He hears the cries of the innocent. Remember verse 10, the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. When those unjustly treated, like those killed by the actions of tyrants and dictators, like those who have their lives cut short for convenience, like those who abandon the children they brought into this world, when such cry out to him for the injustice they have suffered, he hears their cry. He says judgment will fall on the evildoer and he punished Cain by exclusion, which will be followed by death. And anyone who killed Cain will suffer God's vengeance, verse 15. Or as uh, he's quoted as saying in Romans, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. In the meantime, the sinner's conscience leads him to Rome. There is, as the Bible says, no rest for the wicked. Our consciences haunt us until we pray and come to find our rest in God. But if we do not repent for them, it is exclusion from God's presence, not just for this lifetime, but forever. So let us take away from this passage a correct understanding of human nature. This passage gives us God's analysis of human beings and of our basic problem. That we as a species, are proudly disobedient towards God. And we are getting worse, not better. We cause pain and suffering to others. We will one day face the judgment of God for our sins. In the meantime, we roam and we are restless. God's hope, and our only hope, is that we avail ourselves of the only life that is acceptable to God, Jesus Christ, as it's through the merits of his sacrifice that we can become accepted by God himself. Amen.